This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies, Blanca, May and me, Dee, have a dish about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Hi, welcome to Spice Bags. In this mini episode of our podcast, May and I discuss the use of kitchens in the movies of Spanish film director Pedro Almodovar. You already know how our podcast is obsessed with kitchens and what they say about us and our culture. And since Almodovar has just released the movie Parallel Mothers with Penelope Cruz, one in which the kitchen tells us about the lives of the characters, we wanted to share our thoughts on his other famous kitchens, from the horrid one in What Have I Done to Deserve This, to our favorite, the airy 1950s-inspired one in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Um, I know you wanted to talk about Pedro Almodovar. How am I pronouncing that right? Almodovar. Almodovar. Okay. Um, yeah. Who I love, um, but I know that you have so much more knowledge about him. And specifically, I think he wanted to talk about kitchens, his kitchens, how they play out in his films, and also how that kind of opens up a window into Spanish culture and Spanish history and Spanish feminism. Um, so one very interesting thing about Pedro Almodovar, uh, Pedro Almodovar is probably around 70. So he grew up during the Franco era, but really came of age in the 80s. So in in the post-Franco uh, democracy area, era. So Almodovar has always made movies mainly about women, homosexuality, people who are transsexual. And he's like the rebel boy of Spanish cinema. And he's been very, very successful uh, because I think his themes are universal. So you can watch Almodovar and be Chinese or American and it will speak to you. But I think there's a deeper level of Almodovar that some people might miss because they're not um, Spanish. So if we see certain things in an Almodovar movie as a Spaniard, we'll interpret them a different way than if you're um, American or Irish. So the first thing that I love about him is that he says Spanish in in kitchens, you can't lie. And that's why he loves filming in them. Mm. What do you think of that phrase, May? Because I want to see your American, Irish, Chinese perspective. Well, I think also that one thing that I had read about Amadovar was that he'd grown up with the sort of Doris Day 1950s American kitchen. And yeah. that what he loved about kitchens, but also bathrooms, was that sort of almost dirty intimacy. I don't know whether dirty is, but intimacy. Right? And that's sort of what he wanted to bring. And and I think you mentioned, and I would love for you to talk about it, it's like um, how intrusive is going through a Spanish person's refrigerator? Yeah. And I think that's the main difference. I think Spanish kitchens are places of complete intimacy, whereas... American kitchens are open plan spaces. They might be really big. You might ha- have guests in your kitchen. I think Spain, even right now in modern Spain, open plan kitchens are not very common. And it's not a place where you would entertain your guest. I think that's the main difference. So when Almodovar said this, he said this in 
in a 1987 cooking program, which we'll talk about later. But he did say, I love filming kitchens because they're so intimate and you can't lie. You have to look at kitchens in a Spanish perspective. Kitchens in Spain tend to be... Um, very, very utilitarian, kind of very boring, white, you know, we fry a lot. This is not the Doris Day kitchen. It's, it's a totally different, but he does try to recreate sometimes those type of American kitchens. But the Spanish kitchen is a place of intimacy. And there's one movie, um, it's called What Have I Done to Deserve This, which is a great movie for women who feel mm. COVID is really hard. <laughs> It's a totally repressed women. Post Franco, her husband is. Can you very, talk about? Yeah, can you? The movie is. Yeah, I was just going to say. Can you give us a summary of what? So it was she's and a woman who this, lives outside the the M30, which is the ring that goes around Madrid, the first ring, and she lives in this high rise building. Her husband's a taxi driver. He's having an affair with a German woman. He was a German immigrant, so he had moved to Germany during the Franco years and mm. come back. Uh, and he's a Nazi, and she's really hooked on over-the-counter drugs. Not over-the-counter, but pharmacy drugs. Um, and she has kids that are terrible, they're hungry. And a lot of people read a lot of um, influence of the dictatorship in the movie, but Almodovar has also said he didn't make movies taking Franco into account. So I think he's more casting an eye on hmm. the society of the time rather it's not just the politics, it's the society, the society where men hit women, where men have open affairs. So anyway, so in the movie, um, the, mm. the horror stories happen in the kitchen. So she obviously kills her husband because who wouldn't with the ham, with the, t the ham that I love, May, the, the leg of mm -hmm. ham that's has no ham anymore and you make a soup with it. So that's one thing that you would miss out if you don't know about Spanish food culture is that what she kills him with is, is not a leftover piece of bone. It's something that you would use for cooking. Um, so the kitchen is just this place of repression. Um, you see her, Almodovar uses like the camera inside the washing machine, inside the oven to show just her anguish of being just a slave in the kitchen. This is not a, a, a beautiful kitchen by any means. The tiles are horrible. I really wonder where he got those horrific brown tiles. But anyway, this movie, you know, she has a lot of neighbors that provide the support. So I think the movie is about that community of people. One neighbor is a prostitute who's obviously single and has a much better life than hers. So she realizes her husband's in the way and that, you know, women who are on their own are much better off. The other one is has telepathic powers. So all the women in her life that have no family are better off. But um, the, the kitchen in this movie is truly one of the, most horrific um, hmm. kitchens you will ever see. And it it's almost like Goya used to do really horrible food scenes and horrible still lives yes. of food. So it's linking it to that sinister kitchen. Goya, I'm talking about the painter, um, uh. the court painter. So so then, you know, Almodovar, that eating, was probably... Like even... They don't uh, eat in the okay, kitchen so, in this so movie. That, that kitchen... But that kitchen itself is that sort of Goya horrific. I mean, Goya is horrific. It can be horrific, yeah. right? And and yeah. that is hearkening back. And also just to be clear that What Have I Done to Service is a reasonably early Amadovar film. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's, it's not his first movie, but it would it was in it was done in nineteen eighty four. 
And I think one interesting thing is if you look at his next movie, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which is 1987, it's a much happier, much more colorful movie, which finally attracted international attention. And if you look at the kitchen in that movie, it is an open plan kitchen. So Almodovar already is trying to appeal to a to a more international audience, uh, and he's it's, it's it's just like a happier, brighter movie. This woman is completely independent; she has her own job. She doesn't depend on any man to to sustain her. And then the apartment is obviously um, this is something we see later on in in series. It's the apartment is out of line with how much money she earns because she's a translator of movies, but she lives in an apartment that would cost I don't know six million euro today in the center. I was going to say this is this is predecessor. This is the predecessor of Friends and Sex in the City. Yeah. So the apartment is stunning. It's a beautiful apartment. Um, <sighs> And all the decoration. So he ma- he makes the jump from that kitchen, that sinister kitchen, to a beautiful, bright mm-hmm. kitchen where he's making the the you know where she's making the the actress in the movie the the protagonist makes the famous gazpacho with Valium. Anyway, it's it's so he makes a big jump. But in between these two movies, mm-hmm. Almodovar went on a very famous cooking show in Spain called Con las Manos en la Masa, which was run by a woman called Elena Santonja, and she invited all the celebrities of the time. Um, and he was on the show cooking pisto, which is uh, kind of a ratatouille from La Mancha, where he's from. And he does a scene where he's singing. And this is where he talks about kitchens and how much he uses them uh, for filming. So we get a lot of... Um, knowledge from watching him cooking he's not really cooking but and then the the guest sorry does they he always also call, call him, his mom does he call it yes he calls oh, his, sorry, does the, he also the Elena his Santoja. mom at some point yeah in the show she calls yeah uh, his mom to go over the recipe um because she's <laughs> cooking with him the recipe of his mother and this show if anybody interest is interested in spanish food culture mm-hmm. this is a great show to watch because you can see all these famous writers Um, you know, flamenco singers, just cooking food that they really, really love. And it's, it's a famous show. And last year, um, the national TV uh, showed it again last year as a result of COVID, they wanted to bring new shows on food because, you know, most shows now are competitions and this is a welcome change from that competitive um, world of TV cooking now. But anyway, so Almodovar made that leap to a modern, Modern, obviously mm-hmm. that kitchen wouldn't have been normal in Spain, but um, okay. maybe that's what opened him up to international audiences. And then every other movie, there's always one, two, three, four kitchens. Some movies, um, I think his his last one, not the one with Tilda Swinton, but um, Pain and Glory has also, I think, three kitchens. Yeah. There's always a lot of kitchens that convey a lot about the characters and about the, where they are located in Spain. Actually, can you talk a little bit about Pain and Glory? Because I think you um, you have some thoughts on the kitchen and how that is in certain ways, like autobiographical and yet not, and how he uses kitchens to both convey that it's autobiography and then what the like, and then in his childhood that the kitchen is fantasy. And 
in in pain and glory the the first kitchen that we see well not in the movie but the first kitchen from the life of the of the writer in the movie is in a cave and i thought that was <laughs> fascinating because obviously almodovar you know he he didn't have a kitchen like that but if you look at the kitchen where penelope cruz is the mother and it's kind of an underground cave there are a lot of caves in spain um the, For instance, the town my family is originally from, my mom's family, is the largest cave-dwelling population in Europe. So they have kitchens, they have houses that are built in clay mountains. But this specific kitchen is built more in like a rocky. I, I didn't get the, the feeling that it was a clay uh, cave, like the ones in, in Granada and Guadix. It felt more like a rock cave. But if you look at that kitchen, there's no running water, there's... You know, it's just such a basic kitchen. Mm. It's almost like heartbreaking. He didn't really grow up in a kitchen like that. So, but he is trying to convey how far along the character has come because his his kitchen in Madrid when he's an adult is just beautiful. Yeah. There's smeg, um, there's smeg, um, you know, refrigerator or toaster, and the kitchen that they use in the movie is actually a copy of Pedro Almodovar's kitchen. So that, I thought that was fascinating that he used, he built a set that uses um, his own kitchen and the kitchen is red, bright red and blue, you know, opposing those opposing colors that Pedro Almodovar always loves. So in that way though, right, it does, like as, as I think you, you have, you and I have talked about that there blurs that sort of line in power and glory about what is autobiography and what is fantasy. Like that, there is that fantastic childhood that he would love to have had, which would have been like living in the stone cave without any water and turns into this director who has the exact same kitchen as he does. And so- And the same hair, but it's hair. obviously much more handsome because it's- <laughs> It's Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. It's funny how um, he chose, Antonio Banderas is kind of known as a sexy, very charismatic man, but in the movie he plays a very grumpy, not very friendly, very neurotic man. And Almodovar, you know, you can see him. He's just such a warm, charismatic person. So he had um, Banderas play somebody completely different. But And then, like you're saying, he romanticized his childhood. Like you see a scene where they're washing the sheets in a river and it's like she looks like Sofia Loren with her boobs and her hair well, up she's and Penelope Cruz like playing like a Sofia Loren kind of character it's so yeah. romantic yeah it's just but then, you know obviously you this know, is not reality this is not close to 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 the way he grew up but anyway um It's a beautiful movie, and those two kitchens are are very, very interesting. And one funny thing is he's using um, the teacup that he uses. I looked it up to see what it was, and it's Hermes. So it's also, you know, such an aspirational brand. And everything in Almodovar is, is you know, used to, to give some type of narrative about the character. So I think the fact that he uses Hermes is, and not some Spanish brand, it's just saying, you know, I've really come a long way. Hmm. I've Anyway, I think uh, that's that. I found that surprising because there is one uh, porcelain that Almodovar uses in a lot of movies from Galicia called Sargadelos, which is beautiful. It's it's really it's it's white and blue normally, and it's 
it's almost like as if Picasso and Joan Miro had gone together and made um, this porcelain. And you can see that he uses that in a lot of movies, especially the ones that are based in Galicia. So um, Julieta. Is, I mean, is Julieta has Julieta. Okay. Julieta the, the, is based other... on, a, on, a, yeah, on a novel by Alice Munro on a short story. And yeah, short stories. Three Galicia. short stories. Yeah, and then also another okay. one, um, the the skin I live in, which is one of his most horrific films. Yes. it's probably a movie I would not see again. <laughs> no, I, I, also, I, yeah, <laughs> he uses those cups is again, and they're beautiful. Oh, yeah, that movie's in Galicia. Oh yeah. my gosh, I don't know why I'm going Oh, the movie is in Galicia. Okay, yeah, no, it's um, a difficult movie to watch, and it's horrifying, but it lives. But the back. kitchen is and really actually, interesting. Just- no, I was just going to oh, say the okay. kitchen is um, in Galicia, you know, kind of farms or estates are called pathos. So it's a beautiful, it's kind of almost like an Irish kitchen. You can, there's a, there's like an old stove and there's a leg, well, the leg of ham obviously is very Spanish, but the kitchen is very a, like nobleman kitchen in, in, in Galicia. It's not also a normal, it's not a normal kitchen from a Spanish point of view, but it's, it's also, a beautiful kitchen for, to see. For those, re- for those viewers who don't know um, the plot of the skin I live in, I mean, can you just give a little bit? This is why we're talking about. Well, we're talking about like how the skin I live in. It's probably <laughs> it's just a, a surreal movie, and it's about uh, taking vengeance on somebody who has hurt the protagonist's daughter. Um, and transforming him into a woman and and making him a slave. It's it's really, really horrific. I remember I saw this with my husband in Chicago and I couldn't sleep. It was it was really perturbing. But I think, you know, I always try when I go to see Almodovar movies, I always take notes about the kitchens, about the hams, about the ceramics, about, you know, whatever, all the scenes that happen in the kitchen. And I kind of put the other stuff, like in that movie, I definitely put some scenes aside. But I would say that's his hardest movie to watch but still there's some things like you can always tell his breakfast i love like his breakfast his spanish breakfast in in a lot of the movies you can see that orange juice ham toast uh coffee combination that we love um but one fascinating scene of food that i asked you to watch the other day is the cannibalistic counselor which is a which is a short film I really loved watching Which that. Which I didn't have subtitles that. for. So I actually, I know I did watch it. I didn't have subtitles for it. I mean, I loved it, but I need you to, you know, and it was, um, it was brilliant. Um, not exactly sure what was going on there, but there was a wobbly flan and a woman passed out. Well, the, the, this is a very short story. It's, it's, it's related to another movie um, Los Abratos Broken Embraces. So it's it's kind of produced by the people in that film. Mm, okay. <laughs> but this, this short film happens completely in a kitchen. So it's probably the only film of Almodovar that doesn't have any other scenes. And the kitchen is very colorful. There's a lot of yep. red. There's these pepper um, posters on the wall, which made me laugh because in Spain... When we say, I don't give a damn, we say, I don't give a pepper. So oh, I wonder okay. if there was some relationship to the pepper, like, me importa un pimiento. Like, we always say that. Like, if you really want to 
you know, tell somebody you don't care, you say, me importa un, un pimiento, I don't give a pepper, uh, or uh, or cumin, you say also, um, I don't give a cumin. But anyway, it, so she's in the kitchen, she's a right-wing counselor, so she's she has all these right-wing political ideas, but she's obsessed with sex and men and, you know, having sex with lots of men. And also she's does cocaine. So there's a scene where she's having a gigantic flan, which is obviously made for a whole family. And she's having Coke at the same time. And I love that link that Almodovar does between drugs and food. Like, and if you look at the flan, and this is something that you'll see a lot in movies and even in, in processed food in Spain, flan is supposed to have no bubbles around it. But if you look in Almodovar movies like Volver or this counselor one, the flans have little bubbles because they've been overcooked. So you make flan with eggs, sugar, milk in an oven, and you make it in a bain-marie. But if the temperature is too high, you get these bubbles. So that would be technically incorrect. But Almodovar always makes these flans totally overcooked. And it made me kind of huh. laugh, but then I realized Jose Andres, the famous chef, you know, um, who is, you know, a very important man now in terms of um, probably the, you know, probably the spa- like ambassador of, sp- of sp- Spanish yeah, and also food a and very important ambassador of Spanish food in the world. Yeah. And he's been nominated um, for the Nobel Peace he over- Prize, but uh, yeah. So he says in his book, Does he, he says, he man? explained it. He says, you know, some people like the flan to be overcooked because it reminds them of their childhood. So I think there's also a trend in Spain to make things appear as if they've been made, mm. you know, more traditionally. But anyway, Almodovar always does that. So Jose Andres is, tells you like, you know, it shouldn't have it, but it has it because people like that. I, and I think if you look at the producers of flan in Spain, they also have the little bubbles. So in Spain, we don't understand flan if it's made perfectly. That's just the the thing. But anyway, in the cannibalistic oh. counselor, um, we don't see any scenes of her being a cannibal. It's just in the kitchen. Uh, but she, you know, she talks about being a cannibal, whatever. But that scene with the flan and the coke, it's once again he uses that link between, you know, food and drugs because so many women in Almodovar um, do drugs. Like when I say do drugs, they they need some type of going- drug in their life. I was going to ask you, so if we, I mean, and and this is going to sound like a really almost basic question, but can we talk a little bit about women in Spain, right? You say that Amadovar comes out of a post-Franco and women in Spain and how he responds to that. And then also, as you said, right, a lot of his characters do do drugs, right? So like, can can we talk first the history and then maybe, and then like how his characters emerge from that? I think... um... You can make many readings of the women in Almodovar. Um, and I think probably a lot of people make a reading of um, trying to understand it from the perspective of the dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And during the dictatorship, actually before the dictatorship, there was an organization called La Seccion Femenina, which it, which was a group of women. Almost the women who ran it were very, very powerful women that came from the nobility or from really wealthy bourgeois families, and they founded a group that supported um, the Falange, which is, you know, not the party of Franco, because this was done before Franco, but which eventually became, you know, associated with the regime of Franco. And these women, 
their main job was to look after other women. They had uh, mobile schools where they would go and teach women how to look for children, take, take care of the kids, or cooking. They published a lot of books about cooking with very few ingredients, which are still in print. They're very interesting books. And these women... Uh, I don't know, if you wanted to have a passport in Spain, you had to do social service, which is like the military. Like, it's like mm -hmm. similar to what Israeli okay. um, women would do, but not in the military. You had to do it in a hospital, in an orphanage. So it was a very controlling um, organization of women's life. So a lot of mm. academics, a lot of people make a lot of readings. Is, is Pedro Almodovar, like, you know, just making a reference to La Seccion Femenina and to women being repressed. And I don't know, I feel that it's a little bit, we're trying to to explain Spain as if Spain was, you know, a Margaret Atwood novel and Franco came along and took all these mm. rights. And I think what we need to understand is that this machismo and this women having no power was happening long before. Like there's very few, if you look at, you know, different periods of, of Spanish history, you know, there's very few powerful women. Like, you know, we have Santa Teresa of Avila, we have, you know, Queen Isabel of Castilla, but women were essentially in the kitchen. And if you wanted to be a successful woman in Spain during certain eras, you had to join a convent. Like if Santa Teresa of Avila would have stayed as a noble woman, as a wealthy woman, she would have never progressed. So, so that type of narrative surprises me because I do think that um, Almodovar, and he said this, he, he also cast a political eye on the Spanish left saying, you know, you're the left, you're mm. supposed to be more open about, you know, homosexuality, you're supposed to be more open about women. So I, I don't know, I think there's a lot of room to interpret Almodovar. I feel that the Seccion Femenina is always brought into all these conversations mm. um, about Spain as a repressor of women. And I think, no, 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 the repressor of women was there before, and it was the church, it was husbands, mm. it was everything was repressing women. And the Seccion Femenina, if anything, I feel it might have also helped take some power away from the church. Because when there's different players like dealing with women, the church always kind of cra uh, collided with the Seccion Femenina. So if the Seccion Femenina wanted to do sports and the church said no, they had somebody to disagree with. And, and Franco was kind of happy with that. So anyway, I think the Seccion Femenina was just part of the time. What I do feel is that the Franco era kind of froze women in time. It meant that women... Whereas in other countries, they might have advanced. In Spain, they didn't. They were kind of frozen, like, boom, frozen. But I don't know. I just, I, that narrative of, of um, this Gilead, I just, I don't think it's, it's particularly um, enlightening. I think it's taken out of context. Um, the Spain before Franco. The Spain before Franco was not a good place for women. <laughs> and, and let's be frank, in the 30s, But what country was a great place for women? Um, but also, so the reception though of Almodovar when he comes in, right? Like when he is also, you know, he has strong women characters um, and they're battling again, religion, you know, like there's a lot of convent stuff. There's a lot of prostitution. Yeah. There's a lot of drug addiction. There's a lot of rape narratives. And this was yeah. like, this was completely embraced when his movies hit by Spain. No, no, it wasn't. Okay. Embraced. All right. 
Okay. So uh, I would say a lot of people in Spain wouldn't like Almodovar. They would hate him. They would like my parents would never watch Almodovar. Um, and I don't know anybody like Almodovar is, is going to rub people the wrong way. Like my grandmother would have a, like she would have had a heart attack if she would have watched an Almodovar movie. She, one day I was watching Ivanhoe and they kissed in this, in a scene and she covered it with her dress. So imagine if she watched, I don't know, Kika or something like that, she'd freak out. But, um, but I think Almodovar, I do think that those themes, like all of a sudden we weren't allowed, like mm. Spain was infantilized by, by Franco, by the Franco regime. You couldn't read certain books. You couldn't do certain things. Obviously in the privacy of your own home, you could do whatever. But so I think that all of a sudden we saw these scenes of prostitution. We saw scenes of people who were transsexuals and it was very, very powerful. But, you know, he's obviously talking about people that normal Spanish people wouldn't encounter. But the narrative, I think what it is true is this narrative of machismo that you see over and over again and women killing husbands in the kitchen. There is, um, there's a lot of discussion in Spain always about husbands and partners killing their their wives or, or lovers or whatever. And hmm. he's... He talks. He he does a lot of that, and I think it is true. But then, if you look at the stats, like you would watch Almodovar and think, "Oh my goodness!" In Spain, men are just, and it's just, it's not true. Statistically, I was surprised to see that Finland was like the top country for for husbands killing their wives or partners. So you know, we don't associate Finland with or Scandinavia with that. But yeah, Spain would rank maybe like six or seventh in Europe. Mm. Um, but, you know, these are also very few cases. It's not like people are like, you're sitting there and people are killing each other. But he loves those topics. And it's because he also likes to talk about the extremes. But I think now in the world we live in, you know, Spanish men have changed so much from the men of the 80s to now. Like, it's almost, there's mm. what, 40 years, 40 years, in 40 years, men are not, the men that you would encounter in these movies anymore. Um, so, okay. So just to end on a light note, your favorite recipes from Almodovar. Well, I, I wouldn't say my favorite recipe, but my, 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 the one that I always um, love is the, the one in women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, the gazpacho with Valium. Um, and how, um, when the actress, when Carmen Maura gets asked, um, what's in this gazpacho? Because everybody's passing out. <laughs> she just gives you the recipe. I think that's like one of the best scenes in, in Almodovar movies. It's She just says, you know, cebolla, tomate, pepino, pimiento, aceite. I, that's my favorite scene. It's like she gives you the recipe for gazpacho. In, in, in the response. Um, and I was it's one of my favorite. It's day, one of my favorite. Yeah. It's it's a brilliant scene. But also one interesting thing about the gazpacho is that the fact that she makes that gazpacho tells you a lot about her. Because gazpacho, let's be clear, gazpacho is like a smoothie. When people talk about this whole like, oh, trend of smoothies, people in Spain were making smoothies for a long time. Yeah, maybe we started making them in a pestle and mortar. But gazpacho is the quintessential smoothie. Mm. It's it has so many vitamins and minerals and all these things. So I think the fact that Almodovar women make gazpacho and then put, you know, some Valium is kind of yeah, almost yeah. like a Spanish smoothie. Spanish smoothie, yeah. I was just going to say, it's, yeah. it's, 
it's a universe. It's a universal woman food if you think about it. Yeah, it's universal. It's, it's a universal woman, woman food. food. It's a smoothie with Valium. <laughs> yeah, but it's like we have all these smoothies with like protein and maca powder and whatever. But you know, in Spain, in for whatever centuries, we've had these smoothie. But you know, in Almodovar movies, they just get laced with drugs to tranquilize women because they're very stressed. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I love the I love smoothies. <laughs> and I love gazpacho for sure. <laughs> well, thank you, Blanca. Um, I'm going to actually I have to rewatch Pain and Glory now, but I actually want to rewatch um Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown as well. And Julieta, I have never seen. So oh, thank Julieta's you so much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we'll see you in our next uh, bonus episode of Spice Bags. If you like what you heard or better yet, have a question or response or comment to anything that we said today, we really want to hear from you. So please contact us at Instagram at Spice Bags Pod. Twitter as well is the same Spice Bags Pod. Or you can email us at SpiceBagsPod at gmail.com. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.